I, I remember finishing, I was in my apartment in Seattle, my hand was over my face like the entire time and I was just like, wow, like the magnitude of what is actually going on is unfathomable and that's when it all hit me. Welcome to the Vegan Manly Man Podcast. What is good, guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Vegan Manly Man Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Singer, and this is the show where we talk about self-growth, plant-based living, and sharing the message of love, compassion, and peace for all beings. Today's show is going to be a completely different episode, something that I've never done before, which is really exciting. I recently got to sit down with full-time animal rights activist Joshua Entis, and we recorded this podcast as a video. So if you guys are listening and you want to watch instead, head over to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash the vegan manly man tv or just search up the vegan manly man and you can watch this episode i also want to preface that the audio is going to sound a little bit different than what you guys are used to and that is due to the fact that when we recorded the video i had to set up the mics in a little bit of a different position and the room had a lot of echo as well so hopefully that does not deter you away from the amazing insight that you're going to hear from Josh in this episode. I don't think it's too bad, but I'm very self-critical and picky about the quality of not only my podcast, but my video, but everything is a learning experience. So I'm glad we got to sit down and do that and just have my podcast be recorded for the first time. So I think you guys are going to enjoy it too. Um, Josh is an amazing guy, just overall good dude. He dropped everything a few years ago after a job in sales and doing some local activism um, in, in Seattle, Washington, to travel the world for over two years and spread the vegan message and help animals. And not only that, but help other activists be better in communication and teach them how to take care of themselves because we all can get a little bit too kind of worn down in doing activism when we're exposed to such negative things on a daily basis. So Josh is a great educator, but he's just an amazing activist himself. He brings such a good energy and good vibes to the room that you're in with him or activism or wherever he is at. So I think you guys are going to enjoy this episode. Don't forget, you can watch this on YouTube. Show me some love over there, even if you don't watch this specific video. Um, like, subscribe, hit the bell, all that good stuff that I'm supposed to say. So I appreciate you guys so much for being here and I hope that you enjoy this interview with Joshua Entis. I'll see you on the other side. What is going on guys and welcome back to yet another episode of the Vegan Manly Man podcast. I'm your host as always, Jake Singer, and this is the show where we talk about self-growth, plant-based living, and sharing the message of love, compassion, and peace for all beings. I am joined today by none other than Joshua Entis. Thank you for being on the show today, man. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I like that intro. Absolutely. It's Thank nice you. One. Thank yeah. you. I like that. Yeah. So, um, man, like I kind of almost want to dive in, but I feel like I always have to do small talk to start off these, these do things. What you do. You know, how have you been liking Pittsburgh so far, man? Pittsburgh is awesome. Yeah. For those people that might not know, I've been a Hardcore Steeler fan yeah. <laughs> since which the NFL football team, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yes. Uh, since I was eight years old, and I came to the city once three years ago for a game and just to tour the city. This is some incredible organizers here. Yeah. Uh, and great activism, great vegan food, great environment, green trees. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I like I like Douglas fir, like forest green trees. Yeah. Pennsylvania is all about that. 
So I'm just having a great time here in Pinay nice, so far. Good. Yeah. So I guess the trees out in Cali are, are different. <laughs> great trees in California yeah. too. <laughs> well, you've been, I mean, besides California, you've been traveling all over the world yeah. for the past two years. So yeah. um, for those that might not know you, what exactly do you do? Oh, that's a big question too. I kind of do a little bit of everything, but I guess to narrow it down on what you're probably wanting the answer for is for the last two years I've been dedicating my life to doing full-time animal rights activism, but more specifically helping activists take their own advocacy to the next level. So I'm getting or becoming more effective with our outreach, our communication skills when speaking with other people regarding veganism and animal rights. Also my newest passion and something that I'm sure we'll talk about a lot in this podcast is focusing on self-care, focusing on helping activists um, across the board, but mainly animal rights activists, take care of themselves so that we can care for others. We can really focus on dealing with what we experience as activists, as vegans living in a non-vegan world, taking that in, taking that pain, suffering, that trauma, that negativity, and turning that into ways that we can process those emotions, we can process those experiences, and move through and become stronger. So I've been doing that around the world, giving workshops, uh, giving talks, doing activism and taking photos, videos, kind of everything regarding animal rights and animal liberation and just learning a lot about this movement, a lot about myself and a lot about activists. That's great, man. Super important work, honestly. Yeah. I think uh, more activists need to learn about self-care because it's it's easy to get so caught up in everything that's happening in the world, all the suffering, all the negativity, mm-hmm. and forget to take care of ourselves because you know we can't help somebody else if we're not helping ourselves first. So I think that's super important. Yeah. So really good stuff. So let me ask you a really deep question. I do this with sure. all my interviews. Um, I want to ask you what your mission statement is for life. Mm. So the listeners, the viewers can get an idea of who you are to your core. And then we'll kind of dive into yeah. how you got to that place. And this is something I'm constantly restructuring, like on a daily basis, I think figuring out our purpose in life and figuring out this mission statement, right? is something that I think is a constant evolution. So I'd say if I had to pick my mission statement for right now, it would kind of be a combination of something that I just said, but my goal part of my mission statement is to help others take care of themselves so that we can take care of others. Mm. And that being the non-human animals on this planet, humans on this planet, and the planet as well. So I want to do that though by living, being living, breathing proof and uh, an example, a positive role model of someone who's doing that for themselves as well. So I want to be able to take care of myself in regards to um, taking care of my mind, body, and my soul so I can be strong, so I can have energy, so I can be ready to tackle anything that comes my way. And I think by doing that myself first, by practicing what I preach, Mm -hmm. I can take care of myself so that I can take care of others by being that role model to others so that they can see that, hey, it's important to practice self-care. It's important to have, you know, a nice self-care routine, something that's going to really foster a positive mental attitude, take care of the mind, the body, the soul, so we can be out there with the energy, and just the tools that we need to take care of others. I don't have it in a concise, nice mission statement, so hopefully you're able to gain something from, or pull something out of that, but to, I'm just trying to figure out how I can put it into one thing. Help others take care of themselves so we can take care of others. I like that. Yeah. No, that's great. That's Couldn't set it better. Cool. Absolutely. So, man, you weren't always vegan, and you actually were kind of on the opposite end sure. of what people consider vegan. You used to hunt, you used to fish, mm-hmm. ate a ton of animal products, how did you go from one end of the spectrum all the way to the other side? What was that journey like for you? Yeah, it was a, a long journey. It's been a little over five years now that I would consider myself vegan. And yeah, like you said, I 
I know the other side, uh, yeah. the, the non-vegan side, the far non-vegan side. And my vegan journey really started with looking within. And I know you were in one of my talks the other day and I, I shared that my vegan journey was actually, it stems through minimalism. So the disciplined pursuit of less. I was really focusing on the fact that I had too many things in my life, material possessions, uh, I had some toxic people in my life. Geographically speaking, I was living in a place that I just wasn't super happy with. And so I found minimalism. They're actually this, uh, theminimalist.com. There's some awesome mm. bloggers. I'm sure some of you have seen the documentary on yeah. Netflix, yeah. The Minimalist. It's, it's a good one, yeah. It's those guys. Yeah. And I was like, wow, there's this whole world of like looking within and focusing on bringing the things into your life that are adding value and removing the things from your life that are not adding value. Material possessions, like I said, people, geographical locations, thoughts as well. What sort of thoughts are you having? Are they positive? Are they negative? Which one should you keep? Which one should you remove? And so once I sort of got all my life down to like two suitcases and all like furniture from Goodwill and I was just really living a minimalistic lifestyle, very simple lifestyle, my best friend and I were like looking at other areas of our life that we can take control of and really uh, minimize per se to see if the things that we were putting into our body or on our body or around us were actually adding value. So that's when we were Googling healthiest diet. I grew up with some severe stomach issues, irritable bowel syndrome. I had really bad acne, <clears throat> excuse me. And I just got to a place where I said, it's the food that I'm putting into my body mm. adding value to my life. Yeah. Or the products that I'm putting on my body adding value to my life. So we were just Googling healthiest diet, veganism started popping up everywhere. And so we looked into it, got the book, The China Study, read some information about how a whole food plant-based diet can prevent, reverse, or even treat some of the leading causes of death in this world. And I was like, that's all I needed. Selfishly speaking, I wanted to look within and take better care of myself first. And we just kind of gave each other a high five and we're like, let's give this a shot. <laughs> and decided that right then and there, we actually went to the grocery store that morning and had all of these animal products in the house, you know, flesh, secretions, just everywhere. Yeah. And just gave it to our next door neighbor and we're like, all right, we're vegan now. What do we eat? <laughs> you know, so went to Google again and we're yeah. like, all right, we can actually just cook vegetables. But it started there. And then the journey after that is is really long, but I would say it started from a health uh, standpoint because I just wanted to take better care of myself. We both did. So at the time, were you still, did you still consider yourself, you know, a hunter and a fisherman? Were you still doing those things when you made that decision to go vegan for health benefits? No, I would say I, I think the last animal I killed myself uh, was probably a year before that. My best friend was probably about a couple months before that. So uh, the other thing too that I want to say about the hunting is I wasn't a game hunter. Like I, I didn't go out and hunt or kill animals for food to feed my family or for sport. I actually think for me it's a little bit worse the way I think about it. I just went out to shoot moving targets. Wow. to shoot animals. I just completely lost regard for life. Like I just didn't see them as individuals. I just saw them as targets that you just sitting on a tree, under a rock, on the ground. And so I never really thought of myself as a hunter. I just saw myself as someone who goes out and takes a gun and shoots an animal or takes a fishing rod and hooks living beings out of the ocean. But wow. at that time, see, that's the thing. I never really thought or considered myself a hunter. I was just like, nah, I would go out and shoot animals. And then, wow. oh yes, that is hunting. And yeah, I put those so, two together. So I wasn't in that headspace before. So that, I think that's why it was easy for me. I didn't have those same, oh, but I'm a hunter and animals uh, would prefer to be killed faster right. versus the factory setting. It was just, no, I want to take better care of myself and everything else didn't matter. It was yeah. just, I got to start with me, give it a shot and see if this some, is, and see if this is something that could work for me. Yeah. Wow. 
So you, you really had no, no regard for animals and the fact that they were sentient beings. It was no. just, you did it for fun. Some animals. Some animals. I called myself an animal lover my yep, whole life. Right, right. Grew up with cats my entire life. A couple dogs, a couple birds. I was always rolling on the ground with the dogs, playing with the cats. Like, those animals were, were my life. And anytime I saw an animal, a non-human animal out on the streets, it was, I wanted to pet them. I wanted to extend my love to them. They made me smile. I thought animals were cute. Yeah. But I just lost that connection over time. Completely disconnected. So brainwashed that I would just go out with my buddies. I thought that that's what we had to do. Just take some guns, take some beers, and go shoot birds, rabbits, squirrels. Like, which is what I thought we did. So when did you make the connection that all animals actually deserve to live and all animals felt pain and suffering, just like the cats and the dogs? Yeah. How did that evolve? It took me about two years into my vegan journey. Wow. Because uh, after I went vegan, uh, in the beginning I thought veganism was just a diet choice. Uh, that's what I saw in the news, that's what I saw in the media, that's what I saw reading articles, celebrities, musicians, like veganism is a diet choice. And so I was eating a completely plant-based diet, what I thought veganism was all about. And then about two years into that, I, I realized I was still supporting industries that were exploiting animals. I was still going and betting on horses at the racetrack in San Diego. I was still going to zoos. I was still buying products tested on animals. I was still wearing their skin and their fur. Not because I wanted to, just because I was uneducated. And then in 2016, so two years after that vegan connection, I watched a documentary called Earthlings. And for those of you that might not know what Earthlings is... The vegan maker. <laughs> vegan maker. Also, Dominion is the now version of Earthlings. I would definitely recommend uh, watching Earthlings. Just type that in on Google or on YouTube. That's basically one of the most powerful movies I've ever seen. It takes you so deep into the five industries in which human beings are exploiting animals. I mean, you've seen it, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah, so you know. Watch it yourself if you have not seen that. And that's when I finally realized that veganism, to me, had nothing to do about diet. Yes, diet is a great benefit of being vegan. You can take better care of yourself, humanity, the planet as well, but veganism has everything to do about the animals. Like, I realized there that there are so many different ways I was still harming and exploiting and killing animals with my dollar, you know, with my vote. And that's when I realized that, hey, I can have a hamburger once a month. It's probably not going to negatively impact my health. I can have a hamburger once every two months. It's probably not going to negatively impact the environment. But I can't have a hamburger once a year and not have it impact the life of a living being. Mm. So Earthlings kind of like, I always say it punched me in the throat. Yeah. Like, you know, I like to be yeah. soft. I say it slapped me in the face. I'm like, no, Earthlings nah. like punched me in the throat. Yeah. And that's when mind, body, and soul aligned. And I realized that I needed to take another step. I needed to clearly define what veganism meant and what it was and what it meant to me. And I realized it was an ethical framework. It was an ideology. It's a way of life. And that's when I chose to become an ethical vegan activist. I was like, there's so much more to veganism that I had ever thought. Yeah. And it took watching the suffering and exploitation and murder of these innocent beings for me to wake up. Like, not even shooting an animal myself uh, made that connection for me, even though I felt bad doing it. Like, I felt bad doing it, but I just felt that that's what I had to do. That's what the guys were doing. So I did it. Right. Earthlings was like, pfft. Just took all those beliefs yeah. and just crushed them. Done. Yeah. Like, from then on out. Then on out? There on out? There on out, then on out. It's somewhere on out. Somewhere on out, <laughs> yes. Uh, I decided, I was like, there's, there's no going back. Zero going back. It is inconvenient for me to be anything but vegan. So I just want to thank, like, Sean Munson, Walking Phoenix, both massive parts of the documentary Earthlings for creating this movie because it's waking myself up or woke myself up and it woke and is waking up thousands of people 
on a weekly basis. I mean, it's an amazing film for people to, to make that ethical connection. Yeah. That's great, man. I, I had the same story as you, honestly, in the sense of earthlings, you said it punched you in the face. I think it threw me down a set of stairs. Yeah. <laughs> it was definitely the, the wake up call for me. Yeah. I was, I was six months, you know, into the, into the diet of, mm-hmm. of, you know, thinking veganism was, was for my health and yeah, just completely unaware of what was actually happening. And it was just a huge wake up call. So you are a full-time activist. Um, animal rights activists. What does that mean to you? And how do you explain that to somebody who may see veganism as extreme, may see activism as, as something that's just, they have no idea Mm -hmm. how to kind of describe that in their own words without making it seem like this off extremist thing. How do you describe that to people like what you do? Yeah, I think it also, it really depends on who I'm speaking with. I think that's a a big thing. If I, if I come across a a farmer or a hunter and they're just like asking about my t-shirt or what I'm doing, I might say something a little bit different than if I'm speaking just with the, I don't want to say the average person uh, walking through the grocery store kind of thing. Uh, But the best way I explain it to people is say that, you know, I'm just following my passion of trying to make this world a better place for all beings. And I do so by doing as much activism focused uh, in regards to animal liberation, uh, but I specify in really helping activists. So with my experience, I was a salesman for four and a half years. I have a lot of communication experience. I majored in communication in college. So I tell people I do that by traveling the world, giving workshops and talks that are specified at helping activists work on their communication skills, work on their self-care skills, and really work on helping people get active. You know, I always want people to go vegan, like that's my thing, and I started my whole like social media journey with reaching out to the the pre-vegans in the world, and then I realized that my passion, my love comes with working one-on-one or in groups with activists, the people, or with vegans who are not yet active, so that I can help people take that next step, so I can help people feel that confidence, feel that empowerment, and it is a tough conversation to have with that person who says, well, what do you do? It usually happens on an airplane for me, sitting next to that person, like, what do you do? And I go, you know, I'm actually a a full-time animal rights activist. A lot of the time they're like, okay. (laughs) So, and that's it. Then the conversation's over. (laughs) And sometimes people are go, oh wow, that's amazing. Like what got you into that? Mm. And then I can tell them why I do what I do. Cause most people, when you say animal rights activists, they get it. Sometimes I'll say vegan activists. Sometimes I'll say animal activists. I think it just really depends on who I'm speaking with and what message I'm trying to convey. But I just try to simplify it as much as possible and say, Hey, I'm a vegan activist. I travel the world. I do as much activism as possible to try to make this world a better place for all beings. Perfect. Perfect. So what actually got you into activism? So you, you were vegan for two years for health reasons. You watch earthlings, it punched you in the face and then here you are. And then when did you decide to become an activist and when did you become a full-time activist? Yeah. So earthlings was the moment I decided to become an activist. Yeah. That's when I was like, I remember finishing, I was in my apartment in Seattle, my hand was over my face like the entire time and I was just like, wow, like the magnitude of what is actually going on is unfathomable and that's when it all hit me. Just like a ton of bricks coming down on me and a punch in the throat. And that's when I was like, you know what, I gotta do more, I want to do more. I had, it was like a fire just was lit. Mm -hmm. For those two years of being what I thought I was, was vegan, I realized there was no fire lit because it was all about myself and taking right. care of my health. Right. And then watching Earthlings was just like pff, lighter fluid. <laughs> or like all over this like small burning, it, yeah, small burning fire inside of me. It was just lighter fluid drenched and then just pff, 
flame took over my entire body. I went straight to social media and I started watching YouTube videos. I started typing in the word vegan activism. Mm. I started seeing videos of people in front of slaughterhouses with the SAFE movement, people doing outreach with people wearing white masks and showing computer screens. At the time, I think it was Earthlings Experience yeah. and Anonymous for the Voiceless. And I watched people doing outreach conversations, filming it and putting it on YouTube. I was like, wow, there are people doing it. There's this community of activists doing it. I've always heard of the term activist and saw the whole like climate rights activist and the human rights activists of our time and never thought I would put myself in a class of people who are out there actively engaging to try to be the change and create the change they want to see in this world. And found uh, I was volunteering at a vegan grocery store in Seattle at the time and I just happened to walk in like a week after watching Earthlings and I told uh, the manager about my experience. He goes, you should come out with us and leaflet at Pride Festival here in Seattle. I was like, what's leafleting? <laughs> and they're like, you know those people that like hand out flyers and you never want to take them and keep walking? That's us. That's leafleters, you know? And I was like, cool, I'll come to that. I thought it'd be a great environment at a nice festival and went out there and I was super nervous. I got a stack of leaflets with a big sign that said free vegan starter kits and was just handing them out and passing them out and people were having a few conversations and it just felt good. I felt empowered. Like I was actually doing something instead of doing nothing. Yeah. Then that sort of catapulted into um, doing disruptions with direct action everywhere where we go into uh, grocery stores, any animal harming industry or business and disrupt the negative peace that's happening inside of these places. I remember going around the meat department and singing the liberation song and doing some chants with some signs, which was really cool. And that was like my first confrontational sort of mm. activism disruption. Then I went and uh, bore witness with the save movement at a live auction where I went and actually connected with individuals. And that's when just pff, more lighter food started to go. And then I said, you know, I got to do even more. Then I became an organizer of Anonymous for the Voiceless in Seattle. And then the full-time activism actually happened. I watched uh, James Aspie. For those of you that don't know him, you should definitely check out his speech and his break in the silence on YouTube. Check it he out was, and check out his episode on this podcast as well. Somewhere over here. In yeah, so I forget what episode it is, yeah. but it's, uh, it's on here somewhere. So here. scroll down through and you'll see James Aspie. Check yeah. it out. So that was amazing. But. Yeah. And so um, he did a year-long vow of silence for the animals. And I watched his three and a half minute video of him like breaking the silence on the mm, yeah, Australia's biggest so news channel, Sunrise or something. Yeah. And I, for the first time, I saw someone speak with so much compassion yeah. and so much love. And I just told him this at the camp out. He had like no clue that this is why I got into full-time activism. Mm. And he did this big challenge. And I'm a competitive person. I like setting challenges. Mm. I was like, this dude did a year-long vow of silence for the animals. I got to do something that's a year long. And I wasn't, uh, you know, I liked my job. I was in sales. Uh, but there was always, I was craving something else. I was craving travel. I was craving activism. I was like, let's just do a year long tour of activism. Let's do something big. Let's call it something cool. Let's promote some stuff on social media. Let's try to build social media and let's just go around the world learning about myself, learning about this movement and doing as much activism as possible to try to just gain that insight and perspective. And yeah, that leads me to right here. That's when I decided to become a full-time activist, sold everything I owned, quit my job, Got rid of my apartment and boom. Wow. And this is actually the last day before you're going home. Yeah, last so day. So you've been on the road for the last... Two years, one month. Wow. So you extended it past a year then. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, yeah, so I've done three tours. Uh, the first tour was 14 months straight. I went to 21 countries. Did an incredible amount of activism. That's when I started giving talks for the first time and hosting workshops. 
Then I took a little break. Then I did a five-month tour. And so that first tour was in Europe, Australia, New Zealand, and Canada. And then I did a five-month North America tour. And then I just did another three-month Europe tour. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Something I want to touch back on that you mentioned is... Um, disruption activism and it's yeah. something that I'm very curious about it's not something I've ever done um, and I have mixed thoughts on it so some people would think that maybe something like that kind of turns more people away than it actually opens their mind how do you feel about that do you first of all do you do you think it's effective uh, second of all you know do you think there's going to be a, a tipping point in the vegan movement where that's going to be more effective let's say when 50% of the world is vegan yeah. and we're going to need that very aggressive direct action mm -hmm. you know more so than let's say anonymous for the voiceless where it's more approach based now, how do you feel about that yeah i think it's a great question a lot of people actually ask me that because before i even got into like doing a lot of activism i used to have a very negative outlook on disruptions and Direct Action Everywhere, which is an organization that does a lot of disruptions. It's not their only form of activism that they do, but it's they're known for doing a lot of disruptions. Right, right. The only reason why I had this negative outlook is because it scared the crap out of me. Like I saw these people going into these stores and like disrupting, like I said, the negative peace. There's this, yes, peace there, but it's negative. There's People are hiding behind that cognitive dissonance and they're getting to a place where um, they don't want to be confronted. People sitting in a restaurant or shopping in a grocery store and buying their animal flesh don't want to be disrupted by a bunch of vegans because they don't want to have their actions being challenged. Right. So I kind of judged um, that form of activism in the beginning until I did it, until I actually tried it. And I was really scared. I was really nervous. I was like, wow, this is, you know, I was shaking. I was sweating. I was like, we're disrupting this business and the people that are in here. And it's challenging. I think naturally as human beings, we don't want to disrupt people. We don't want to have confrontation. We don't want to challenge people's actions. That's confronting and when I did it and I experienced that and I saw people filming and I saw the public looking and I saw some people reading the signs and, and like listening to us sing these songs and hear these chants, I said, hey, maybe there's something to it. Then I got to know a lot of people uh, within the organization of Direct Action Everywhere and I got to see the behind the scenes and I got to learn about why we do disruptions from a um, historical point of view as well, like how we've done it in past social justice movements about disrupting these industries and these businesses and how successful it's been. And I started to learn from some of the people in this organization. I started to go to some of these events hosted by Direct Action Everywhere and see how effective disruptions actually are. So I do think they're incredibly effective if planned well, if organized well. Mm. I think as with anything, there is an ineffective way to do any form of activism. Sure. And I think sometimes, yes, the media will look at a disruption that vegans do and will highlight that and try to be like, oh, look at these extreme militant uh, vegans scaring children in a fast food restaurant, right? There's always going to be people saying that. Right. And I think any form of activism that has that end goal of total animal liberation is has to be moving us in the right direction. If it starts to move us in the opposite direction, then we have to we have to question that and we have to challenge our own actions. And I think I haven't seen, I've seen a few disruptions, of course, like I've seen a few other actions where I was like, you know what, that was probably not the smartest thing to do. Right. Uh, you probably shouldn't have hit that person in the face for no reason. You yeah. probably shouldn't have said this. Or you probably shouldn't have done that. But for the most part, every disruption I've seen, it's been really amazing. I've been a part of some incredible disruptions, like one we did at a uh, a family day at the dairy farm, the University of Florida. Oh, wow. And we went in and we bore witness for a little, and then we did a really amazing disruption with a bunch of activists there. And it was powerful. And people took notice. People watched. There's always going to be people yelling. Yelling and screaming at you, get out. You're weird. Hippies, organic, granola, extreme. <laughs> but we're here. we yeah. got to take a stand. we got to make some noise. Yeah. Because 
the people that are not going to be reached at, let's say, one of uh, like an Earthlings experience or an anonymous for the voiceless demo might need to have someone yell in their face, might need to have someone disrupt what they're doing. Like people are going to feel challenged. I yeah. think sometimes when you make people feel uncomfortable, you're making some progress. Yeah. Yeah. No, I could, I could totally see it from that perspective. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a very thin line that we have to walk mm-hmm. as vegans on being effective, but also playing into where we actually stand as a society. Yeah. Sometimes it's very hard because um, it's easy for people to get upset. Uh, it's easy for people to lash out, want to be angry, and just kind of like go off that rope completely. Sure. But I think it requires a very strong person to be vegan 100%. because you have to psychologically know how you're affecting people and also be effective, but you know still have the right reason about everything mm-hmm. you're doing for the animals. So um, I think that we're in like I call this like the pioneer, you know, kind of era of where we're at in the vegan movement. It's just a lot of people kind of figuring out for the first time how we can actually grow this movement, you know, similar to civil rights and stuff like that. I'm sure people didn't know what they were doing at first and then they had to figure out their way. So I think as it grows, we're going to learn a little bit better what works and what doesn't and, and be more effective. So, yeah, I think so. Yeah, definitely. So, Talk about a time when you're doing outreach. I'm curious to know if you've ever had a conversation going into it where you thought this is just going to go terribly, or maybe it started terribly. Somebody was just saying like, oh, plants have feelings or something like that, but it actually turned around in the end. Do you have any experience with that conversation maybe? Yeah, that's so many outreach conversations. I feel like I need to rack my brain because one thing I do talk about in some of my outreach workshops that I give is how we shouldn't be assuming, we shouldn't be casting a judgment before we enter those outreach conversations because that's only filling our mind with a lot of negativity. And I I don't really have one that jumps out, but I'll just share one that I had here in Pittsburgh where, you know, I saw um, a guy, looked maybe 28, 32, somewhere within that, about my age. And I looked at him, he had the sunglasses on, he had this like athletic sort of workout gear, was, you know, a little bit more muscular. And I was just sort of like, making this judgment of, oh, this, this dude's going to give me the protein though. And like <laughs> the Bible, this, or I just thought that, you know, I'm in Pittsburgh. I don't know what I'm going to get yet. It was my first outreach conversation. And I went in and in the beginning, he did ask what about plants right in the beginning. And I was like, oh God, this is going to, this is going to be a conversation. But then I just decided to take a step back and say, Hey, you know what? Let's like give everyone that benefit of the doubt, see what their challenges are, see what their objections are. And I just listened to him and I talked and I asked some really simple questions. He was actually a really cool guy, uh, really nice, open heart, uh, even said something about religion, but it was something I had never really heard before. He said like, my God is all loving. And if my God is all loving and I want to be all loving for my God, then I feel like I'm at like a, this moral dilemma mm, or crossroads wow. if I'm eating animals. Like he said that and I was like, wow, like I shouldn't have judged. Yeah. And he was even like, yeah, I work out a lot. And I was like, okay, here it goes. What's going to come next? And then he goes, but I'm starting to think that like maybe I don't need to eat animal products. So it was actually a really amazing conversation. He took a card at the end. He goes, you know what? You made me think today. Like I'm going to go look into some things. I'm going to go watch Game Changers, which is a documentary I recommended for him and some other stuff. And this just is like most of those conversations that I've had. Like I've had a lot, thousands of conversations in the last two years. So none like really jump out to me. But most of them start with me just casting that judgment and assuming thinking that it's going to be bad just by looking at someone maybe with a cowboy hat on or maybe with boots on or maybe who is a construction worker or something like that or a bunch of people holding shopping bags. I think they're going to not care. It's we got to eliminate that judgment and just really work on being open and as authentic as possible Mm -hmm. and hearing people out because we were in that position before. Yeah. You know, and uh, yeah. 
that was my last outreach story. Nice. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you believe that we are innately compassionate beings? Like, do I think it's we're born with it, or yeah. that it's yeah. Never been asked that. Maybe a little bit of both. I think uh, maybe there's a little bit of love and hate within us, and then it's whatever is like kind of like a garden, you know. You plant a seed in some soil, that soil has the power to take, you know, whatever seed you plant. So I think we just have that soil and it's what are we planting in there and what's going to kind of grow. And I think a lot of compassion and understanding is taught and is learned throughout life, throughout our role models, throughout the people in our life. I didn't have, I had a very unusual upbringing and, you know, had some good role models in my life, but also didn't. And I think that I chose different paths based off the, the people who are influential in my life. But I do think that deep down inside, I always say that on outreach, deep down inside, I think we all have the capacity to extend that love to all. I yeah. really do. I think it's learned out. Like we're, right. I, I always say we need to unlearn and evolve yeah. because it's, yeah. it's there. We, we have it in us. I think that hate is learned, but also love is learned even more. Mm. But it's just, I do think it's in there. So you think the baseline is love and we can learn to love more, but we learn to hate. That we're not born with hate. Yeah, because... That's a super philosophical question. We we'll probably talk for the next five hours about it, but I do think that because I just what I just thought of right now is that like okay, right out of the boom, we're into this world, right? Like the first sort of discrimination we're taught is like discrimination against the non-human animals. We're just given food. We don't have that decision. We're we're hate is forced on us if you think about it. Like not, I'm not saying your parents or anyone who like was given animal products as a kid means their parents are wanting to give them hate and this and that. That's learned as well from their parents and their parents. So I think it is taught like this, this hate and this negativity and this pain and this suffering and this terror is taught. Whereas the love I think is still chilling there. It's hanging out there. We, we have to be taught that as well, how to love, who to love, how much love to give and to find that balance. But, um, we're not taught to hate people when we, when we come into this world. Mm-hmm. You know, when we're, when we're born, we, we're taught to smile and like laugh. That just right. comes naturally. We cry from time to time, but we laugh, we smile, we love, we touch, we hug, we cuddle. Uh, so I do think those are all sort of qualities of love and compassion. Yeah, yeah. that's amazing. I, I totally agree. Totally agree. How do you feel about suffering in this world. Do you think that there's always going to be suffering? Do you think that that's something that we can completely eradicate or is there always going to be that yin and yang of, of good and evil? And then also in in the same regard, if there is always going to be that balance, how do you stay motivated knowing that maybe the world's never going to be vegan or the world's never going to be completely eradicated of pain and suffering? I think that's a, I think about this a lot, just being an activist and Sometimes having that misanthropic, I hate people, I hate the world sort of view, because that comes from time to time, especially after I leave the slaughterhouse, and I just want this to end, and I want the suffering to end. But I think we're so far, I don't want to say so far gone, but we're just, we just are where we are, that there's an incredible amount of pain and suffering in this world. And I don't believe that suffering will ever be completely eliminated, because you stub your toe, and that's suffering. Yeah. Like, yes, right. you might be able to snap out of that and be like, okay, I feel, I feel great. I feel fine. And it was just a stubbed toe, but like suffering will always exist. I think that's a way that we can learn when we can learn from suffering and we can progress and find the positive in a negative situation. So to answer the first part of that question, I don't think we will ever see a world where suffering doesn't exist. I think it's just inherently within us as human beings 
And uh, I mean, we deteriorate as human beings. Some people have a positive mindset on that. Some people have a negative mindset on that. So I think suffering will always be with us. There will be that duality. Uh, and how do I combat that or how do I maintain? stay motivated? Yeah, yeah. How do I stay motivated. This is something I talk about a lot in my workshop on sustainable activism. I'm not perfect. I'm not Mr. Positive 24 seven. Uh, I try to be, I try to always have a positive mindset and choose positivity over negativity. And, but it's hard. It's hard sometimes. And I think the way I stay motivated is one, having a huge support system and comfortable to reach out to the people that are in my life, that are there to listen, that could be a sounding board that I can talk with, that can offer some insight and perspective and help me through that. Uh, I also focus on putting as much positivity into here as I can. From the music I listen to, to the YouTube videos that I watch, to the people that are in my life. We have to maintain positive. I said it the other day, we have to stop focusing on the things in life that we can't do and start focusing on the things in life that we can. Mm. And that's that simple, I don't want to say simple, well, by definition, it's a very simple shift of mindset, but it's very hard to do, yeah. it's very difficult to do. But that's what I try to work on every day, is forge that positive mental attitude, that muscle that's up there, that we can say, hey, yes, all this bad stuff is going on in this world, and I see it every day. You can't walk down the street as a vegan now, you see the world through a different lens, right? Walk by a restaurant, someone's eating a steak, I see someone eating the flesh of an animal. I see the slaughterhouse I was in. I see the factory farms. So I always have to take time to process those experiences, check in with myself, do a body scan, ask how I'm feeling, why am I feeling a certain way, and try to find some meaning in the suffering that we're seeing. I say that over and over. Try to find some meaning in the suffering that we're seeing. Because when you find that meaning, then that will help you focus on the things that we are doing instead of the things that we can't. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough, man. It really is because... I agree with you. I don't think that suffering is ever going to be eradicated, but something I say a lot is if you can't do everything, don't do nothing, do something. Exactly. And it's like, you know, you may not be able to necessarily completely change the whole entire world, but even just for one person, mm -hmm. you could change their world. And so, you know, why not do something? And, and like you said, focus on what we can do. It's yeah. just because it's never going to go away. doesn't mean that we should just let it go. We should do what we can because I think that's, in us as humans to want to help people. Yeah. I mean, that's what gives me the most fulfillment in life beyond anything I've ever received material wise money. You know, if I receive a message from somebody online that says, Hey, your podcast or your video or your speech or, or, or this helped me and it inspired me like yep. that to me is worth the world. Of course. So I think that's, that's something we need to keep doing. How do we as activists in this movement take care of ourselves when we're exposing ourselves to suffering on a daily basis. You know, we see slaughterhouse footage or we're, or we're going out and we're um, bearing witness when, when slaughter trucks are coming in and just on a daily basis, especially with social media now on the internet, we're just exposed to so much information yeah. all the time. And I've seen activists burn out. Um, I've seen people go back on this lifestyle because it just becomes too much and they yeah. question why they're even doing it because it, it almost robs them of their life. How do we find that balance in wanting to help the world and wanting to end the suffering that we know is happening every second of every day and also enjoying our lives at the same time? Yeah, well, I give a three hour workshop <laughs> on that exact topic, so come to that. Uh, it's on YouTube somewhere. There you go. Uh, but I'll give a few, a few things that we can do because this is a really, I think it's the most important topic that we could be discussing within the activist movement right now because like you said, we are exposing ourselves to constant suffering, pain, injustice, death, trauma, um, the suffering of other beings. But 
there is a term for it. When we experience the suffering of another being, it's, it's called secondary trauma, vicarious trauma. And we experience these trauma responses, these symptoms of what happened. And I went over, I go over a bunch in my workshop, everything from isolation to denial to overeating to excessive drug and alcohol use to complaining about our lifestyle to um, bottling up our emotions. Like we experience all of these responses to the trauma. And it's very, very difficult to continue going at the level that we need to continue going to see this end goal of animal liberation if we're not taking care of ourselves. So a few things that I would recommend people doing is if you're feeling any of these symptoms, definitely research compassion fatigue. Compassion fatigue, secondary trauma, vicarious trauma, all the same thing. And if you're experiencing some of these symptoms, know that that's okay, that's a natural responses of constant exposure to trauma. Whether you are a social worker um, working with domestic violence cases, sexual assault, child abuse, a disaster relief volunteer, or an activist, like we're exposing ourselves to the suffering of another being. And that takes a toll on us, mentally, physically, and emotionally. So first and foremost, limit the amount of daily news that you consume regarding the injustice you're fighting for. So basically, get off of social media. <laughs> or design your social media in a way that is beneficial to your mental and um, emotional well-being. Don't take a break from going and doing activism and go watch everyone else's live stream of them doing activism. Yeah. Our yeah. brain can't tell the difference between whether we see something happen in person or whether it's online. Our brain just sees suffering. We actually release, and I um, fact-checked this with a psychologist who was at my workshop yesterday. Oh, nice. We, we release different chemicals in our brain that uh, when we have positive thoughts versus when we have negative thoughts. Same thing when we experience traumatic events versus when we experience mm. positive or happy events. Yeah. So it's stuff is happening within us, mentally, physically, emotionally. So limit the amount of daily news or social media that you intake. Don't be sitting at home on a break, on a rest day, focusing on the injustices that are in this world. That's just gonna put you in that lower state, that lower vibration, that lower energy, and it's gonna start releasing those negative chemicals, those traumatic chemicals, that negative mindset. Start to focus on the things that are good in your life. That's the second step, that I would say. Find the, some meaning in the suffering that we see, and also try to find what um, is good in this world and what you're grateful for, what's good in your life. Mm -hmm. Take those time, or take a few moments to train your brain into just finding pockets of positivity, pockets of um, gratitude, pockets of happiness, right? Once again, everything I'm saying is easier said than done, and I tell activists either one-on-one -on -one or in these workshops, I wish there was a magic pill we could take and just sustain our activism long-term yeah. without having this affect us. But I actually experienced activist burnout twice, severe, and I shared my story, I share it in my workshop all the time and online, and it took me to a very dark place to where I contemplated why I was vegan. I thought it'd be so much easier to just put those blinders on because I wasn't taking care of myself. I was constantly going into these slaughterhouses, into these factory farms, social media, never limiting the amount of social media I was consuming. Now I take social media detox days. I mute different accounts on my social media platform so I can fill my feed with the stuff that's going to add benefit yeah. or add value to my life at that moment in time. I'll add them back when I'm, when I'm ready. And the other thing that we can do is um, be a little bit kinder to ourselves. Understand that we are fighting a big fight against some of the biggest, most powerful organizations and businesses in the world That's and a it's a tough job I think it's the one of activists fighting against injustice but to talk about our movement animal rights activists have one of the hardest jobs in the world and we're trying to wake up the world yeah <laughs> trying to help the whole world unlearn and evolve so we have to be kinder to ourselves if you're doing something like you said 
you got to celebrate that. I don't mean just be like, oh, if you're doing one action a month, be like, okay, cool, I'm doing everything I need to do. If that's, I will preface, if that's all you can do with your time, don't get me wrong. Like if you are a single parent with two kids and two jobs, like you might only have time to do it once a month. That's not what I'm saying here. I'm just saying that we need to be kinder to ourselves knowing that, hey, we're doing something. 1% of the world's vegan. 1% of vegans are active. So if you are part of that 1% of 1%, which is a very small number, wow. you are doing something and that should be enough to say, hey, I'm gonna focus on the things that I am doing instead of all the crap that I can't solve, that I can't fix. We're gonna to come to terms with the fact that pain and suffering in this world are inevitable and most of the time we have little or no control over what's happening. Mm-hmm. What we do have control on is how we respond or react to those experiences and the action that we take to try to end that or to end that injustice. Yeah. So I think it's like, yeah, limit that social media, be kinder to yourself, um, find the things that you're grateful for or that are positive in your life and the support system, like I talk about. Yeah. Feel free, the, the things that I'm saying are just tools for your toolbox. I'm not a professional, I've just lived this. But there are professionals out there. I have a really good friend, her name's Claire Mann. She's a vegan psychologist, has written an amazing book called Vistopia. She does uh, counseling and online help for activists as well. Uh, she's a professional doing this stuff, helping us through this. So it's, we should be normalizing seeking professional help if these tools aren't helping and know that we have these people out there and that we have to make ourselves a priority. I say it all the time, it's the oxygen mask effect. Yeah. When, you get, when you get in an airplane, the first thing they tell you to do if the oxygen masks drop, hopefully they never have to drop for you, uh, is to put your own mask on first. Yep. So we got to start putting our own yep. mask on first so that we can help take care of others. Absolutely, man. I couldn't have said it better. You can't pour from an empty cup. So, yeah. yeah. And like for me, like when I watched Earthlings, that was burned so deep within me that like I carry that with me on a day-to-day basis, even if I'm not seeing animal suffering on a day-to-day. So my mission stays the same and I know what I'm here to do. So I don't have to expose myself to this 24 seven because it makes me upset. And sometimes, yeah. yes, that can be used as good fuel. I think that, that watching slaughterhouse videos and stuff like that can be extremely motivating to want to go out and get active. But if, when you're doing it on a daily basis, it's, it's just going to bring you down. So, yeah. you know, use it, use it strategically mm-hmm. is what I believe. So yeah. Where do you realistically see the world in 20 years? Poof. Let's just say in, in regards to the vegan movement, 20 years. I see a lot of change happening. I see a lot of change happening uh, in regards to businesses around the world. So I think we'll see a lot more vegan restaurants. Of course, we're gonna see a lot more vegan options and we're gonna see a lot more vegans, but I'm not, I mean, I don't wanna say I'm not concerned about seeing more vegans. I wanna see more vegans. A new vegan coming into this world is amazing. I wanna see, and I'm gonna judge the success on where we are in the next 20 years based on how many activists we have. How many people are actively creating that change? And where I see ourselves is having a lot more activists, having a lot more structure. We're gonna have some mass actions under our belts. We're gonna be in a completely new era of our social justice movement, of of the animals movement. And um, I don't see us in a vegan world. I don't mean to sound negative or uh, pessimistic. It's actually more realistic for me and it helps me fight even harder because now I'm not having this unrealistic goal because if we're not meeting that goal, if in 19 years we're nowhere close, then I'm gonna beat myself up about it. So I look at it as, you know what, I'm gonna do everything in my power to get us to that end goal, to help us get to that end goal uh, within this time. Yeah, I see a lot more vegans, a lot more activists, a lot more strategic actions planned. We'll be mobilizing and uniting a lot more. Uh, I'd hope, I hope so. Uh, I see a lot more sanctuaries. See a lot more people connecting with these 
farmed animals, these food animals, sadly we have to say that, but people connecting with these individuals that they normally wouldn't be connecting with. And I think it'll be a lot easier for people to make the connection, so we might see that snowball effect kick into gear in the next 20 years, mm. where it's going to kind of be, oh wait, you're not vegan? Yeah. Oh wait, you're not an activist? Like, you're still eating the flesh of animals? Right. And we'll see where we go. I haven't actually really thought about where I'm going to see ourselves, uh, where I'm going to see us in the next 20 years, but I just think we'll be, we'll be moving a little faster. Technology will be in our favor. Yeah. I think we'll have a lot uh, more options of vegan food that will help the people that need it to transition. Lab-grown meat, that kind of stuff. Uh, not, not so much lab-grown meat, but I think plant-based options sure. that are going to be like, wow, that like is next like level. next level <laughs> plant-based options. Like good sure. vegan bacon. Like. Yeah, and I think um, something that I don't talk about enough is I think photos and videos are going to be taken to another level. And we're going to be able to, uh, with the advancement in like 3D uh, technology and virtual reality like we're yeah. gonna be we're gonna be bringing people into these places we already doing that with the virtual reality yeah, yeah. I just think we'll see a completely new tech world around this movement and being able to reach a lot more people and yeah. probably access to resources hopefully with a, a bigger uh, demand there'll be a bigger supply which means we can drive down some of the cost on some of these fruits and vegetables for people that are living around the world that might not have um, accessibility like people who live in food deserts so hopefully just accessibility will be higher yeah. What about you? What do you think? Oh man, uh, I think definitely that. I think from an environmental standpoint, um, it's going to be pushed more towards a plant-based diet. Sure. I think I think governments are finally going to come around. Hopefully, um, twenty years time, I think maybe it's just going to be inevitable. I think, like you said, the technology is going to definitely play um, a, a big role in, in what's available and what's out there. I mean, like what Beyond Meat is doing and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, just looking back on my journey over the past seven years, being vegan and, and where I started, you know. I had Boca Burgers when I started and that yeah. was it. And they were terrible, <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. The Boca Burgers were not good. And now we have like Beyond Meat Burgers and Impossible and, yeah. and this and that and it's just like, wow. And that's just been even within, not even seven years, like mm -hmm. the last, I don't know, five years that they've really been getting big. So sure. I think like that's definitely gonna play a huge role. And yeah, I think there's gonna be more vegans. I think people are gonna definitely be waking up to the ethical connection more because these vegan products are gonna be more available. I think what holds people back is thinking that they can't have their favorite foods when they go vegan. And that's why they get so defensive because yeah. I talk to so many people who are, they get open to the ethics after they've already been eating vegan. Yeah. After they've already seen like, oh, I can survive and thrive and the food tastes great. It's like all of a sudden it's 10 times easier to, to share that message. So I think that's going to just be bigger with, with these huge companies making vegan food available. More people are going to try it yeah. and see that it's not this weird thing. It's going to be more normalized. So, um, yeah, I don't think it's going to be a vegan world, but I think it's we're definitely going to be uh, better off. So yeah, for sure. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Always. <laughs> if you could be the main character in a movie, okay, what would you want the movie to be about? What would you want the plot to be about? And what message would you want to convey to everybody who watches it? Yeah. <laughs> the whole world gets to see this movie. The whole world gets to see it. I think it's going to be a loose script I'm going to write right now here for this podcast. But I think I would want the story to be about, I don't want to say my life, but the life of uh, someone who is an animal rights activist that was not always an animal rights activist, but I want people to see, uh, I want the story to start very young, like when we're kids, where that disconnect and that brainwashing may have started. And I, I don't know what the perspective would be from, but I really want to see where in life does an individual, does a human being 
separate themselves from being able to make their own compassionate decisions about about love, uh, about life, about extending that to all beings. Uh, who plays a huge role in creating that for the individual and how society continues to weigh down on that individual throughout life. And then also like sort of the climax, maybe not the climax of the movie, but like when does that shift to where the person, so this, my main character is going to make the connection, but I want people to experience that connection. And maybe that connection would be uh, being inside of a slaughterhouse or being inside of a factory farm for the first time and seeing firsthand what happens to the individuals that we say we love, but we really love some species and and not others. Um, And what happens when that person makes the connection? Uh, What goes on inside of the body, inside of the mind? And what that individual does with those emotions, with those feelings, and then kind of ends with the message of, you know what, well, I also want to take the entire world through a factory farm and a slaughterhouse at some point in this movie, just to say. And uh, through the journey of activism, and I want people to see that uh, sort of we're all activists, even from a young age. We all want to stand up for the innocent and protect the innocent. Like, if someone, I always tell people, if someone steps on a dog's tail when we're a kid, like, we cry. We want to we save the dog. We want to protect the dog. We don't want anyone to hurt uh, the non-human animals that are in our life. So I want the message to be that even though we may have unlearned that love and that compassion, there's always a point in time in anyone's life that we can um, regain that compassion, mm-hmm. come back to it, unlearn what we have relearned in life, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. So I want the message to be that, I want the message to be the vegan message, but the ethical vegan message, the one that's going to be able to promote a lifestyle that's going to not only benefit humanity and ourselves, but this environment, but one that's going to start to make every single person tap into a part of their heart that used to be very present back when they were kids. I want people to connect back to that, that love that was in there when they were a kid and realize that we all have a powerful, that's the message. I know this is a long story long, but I'm writing my script right now in my head. One day this will be a movie. Uh, and I want people to understand that it's, we have a choice to make. And is that choice that we make going to help benefit every being on this planet or is it only gonna help benefit one? ourselves and we've got to be thinking selflessly in this case and then everyone will go vegan during the credits of the movie nice yeah all right so if you're not playing the role who would be the actor that would be that would portray you? i was gonna say brad pitt but this isn't a brad pitt role part of me wants to say jason statham but he's like too aggressive yeah jason that's yeah. interesting yeah this is an action vegan movie you know what i gotta do this bradley cooper okay he plays every role you know yeah. he played american sniper he's yeah. got uh Dude, in, um, A Star is Born, he's a great actor, and I think people will connect with him. The yeah. world will connect with Bradley Cooper. Okay. Bradley Cooper would play me. Nice. Yeah. I'd dig that. Yeah. I kind of see some Bradley Cooper vibes yeah. in you. You kind of got you kind of. I gotta got ask it. you now, though, what about you, your movie? Oh, man. <laughs> see? <laughs> Role reversal. Um, no, honestly, man, like, I think it would be, I think it would be similar. Um, I think, for me personally, I like to add a lot into how we can just become uh, better people and, and change the world in many ways, mm-hmm. even beyond animal agriculture. I'm a firm believer that if we can live happier and healthier lives, that we will be more open and compassionate in general, not only towards animals, but to humans as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe veganism is a doorway to world peace. So I would pretty much have the same thing that you described, but there would also be an element of then taking that into the world and showing how the world changed and just building better communities and, and just building an overall more peaceful planet. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I didn't, man, you had all that time to think about it. We we could also work on a movie together and kind of like what what Eric was saying uh, about the animals taking over the world. Yes. And factoring us. That'd be a a a, a horror film. Yeah. I'm not a scary movie fan. Yeah, but I mean, come on, we gotta wake the world up. The whole world's gonna wake up. I would watch that. Yeah. That would be, yeah. Animals take over and hold humans captive. Yeah. Do exactly what we do to animals, to the non human Mm. animals, but to humans. I'm changing my movie. You're doing that? Yeah. Thanks. Wow. Yeah. That would yeah. be a pop. And it will. Yeah. Assuming that everyone has to watch it. Everyone. I think that would be even. It's a new movie. Wow. So you're going to take, so you're going to go away from the, the, um, and then Jason in, Statham's in, playing my inspiration character. factor. And now you're yeah. going to go for the, the fear, exactly. fa- the fear tactic. I'm going to call it reverse. Reverse. <laughs> no, no. I bad. think, I think we can get a better name than that. Yeah, we yeah, will. That's, that's bad name. All right, we'll, we'll think about it. We'll yeah. talk about it. Let me talk to my agent, and then I'll get back to you. Perfect. Let me talk to Bradley Cooper. All right, all right. <laughs> so tell me about your uh, your vegan tattoos, man. Um, I have a couple myself, but I see you are are pretty. I mean, you got them everywhere here. So I now have. And you can hold them up to uh, you can hold them up to this camera right here. So. One, two, three, four. Five. So I'm just gonna go quickly through them. Vegan four eight three on this arm was one. I'm gonna be vegan for life. I wanted it tattooed on me. Four eight three is the number of uh, a calf, a baby cow that I connected with at my first vigil, mm-hmm. and at a live auction. And I took the number off the calf, took that number home, like the barcode that was put on them. And I wanted a constant reminder of who I'm fighting for. Yeah. Um, choose compassion is just a constant reminder right here on my arm, just like. Every day when I wake up, I'm going to choose compassion, animal liberation, no definition, or I don't need to talk about that. It's self-explanatory. Right there. Uh, Love, it says liberates on my hand, fingers, knuckles. Yeah. Knuckles, yeah. Liberates, liberate animals, liberate the mind, liberate the body, liberate the soul. Just um, liberation for all. And then bolt cutters. Yeah, I didn't. I just noticed that one now. Yeah, it's kind of hidden with the it other is. hand tattoo. I'm a big believer in and supporter of direct action, and the bolt cutter to me symbolizes taking action, even if it means breaking the law. Yeah, and nice. Are those well, the only ones you have? These are the only vegan tattoos. Okay, I have. so you have some other. Yeah, ones. some other yeah. tattoos. What about your vegs? So one? I have two. I don't know. I guess I can. I, it's I hard, can right? See it from it's here. Good. Yeah. Uh-oh. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, well, I'll just show them to you. Um, so yeah, I got the. This is on my one-year vegan anniversary. It's just a vegan symbol, just nice. super basic. And this one I got like a couple years later. Um, says um, says two six nine uh, vegan for life, and it's a skull with carrots instead of crossbones. And uh, if anyone doesn't know the two six nine story, you can find that online. Yeah. Um, but similar situation to you, it was a, it was a dairy calf that was rescued in Israel, yep. um, and just it became kind of a movement in the in the vegan um, world of just representing in general who we're fighting yeah. for. Um, I really like yours, that yours is personal. That, that I think that's amazing. But yeah, yeah so um, I have not met anyone else who has a skull and carrots. So I'm pretty... Uh, someone out there. Someone if you do, if, if leave you, it in the comments. If you have a skull and carrots um, tattoo, drop a comment. Let's... Um, I was going to say, let's link up. <laughs> I don't know. Just drop a comment. That would be you cool You can have a dinner with yeah. skull and carrot tattooers. Yeah. You know? yeah, well, maybe there's a whole community. Maybe there's a meetup. Yeah. Exactly. You never there's know. There's a future meetup. We'll see. <laughs> but uh, yeah, those are the only... I think those are the only vegan ones I have. Cool. Um, yeah. So probably, probably some more at some point. Um, I've always wanted to get to saying strength through compassion. Yeah. Um, just because I found a ton of strength through compassion. Yeah. Um, man, like I, I never considered myself 
I think growing up, like I wasn't like the most confident person, but when I became vegan and learned to stand for what I believe, no matter what, despite the fact that I was being made fun of, despite the fact that, you know, my peers who were trying to be manly and eat meat and like, you know, despite all that, I, I stuck to who I was and my beliefs and my, you know, convictions and I found a lot of strength in that and a lot of That's confidence. You should, man. So, yeah. And also, you know, strength is yeah. this plant-based gains. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not there yet. No, I can be. I can be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You gotta, you gotta get on the uh, the James Aspie and the Joey Carpstrong. And I, I, I feel know. like all the all the vegan activists are, are out there getting some gains. It's an excuse, next. but I've I've wanted to exercise so much, but I'm so exhausted. I'm in a new place every four days. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. ugh. But over the next three months, I'm getting back to it. Yeah. You betcha. Nice. Let's well since we're we're streaming live, actually yeah. you just started a live stream on your phone. Maybe I'll do some fun questions just for the yeah. people who are here, you know, maybe a little bit. I did this at Vegan Camp out in the UK. I just went up to some some vegans that I've been following or look up to for a while and just asked some questions outside of activism because cool. we talk about this a lot. It's cool to get to know you kinda um, in a different way. So it's gonna rattle off some stuff and just give me your best. All right. I'm ready, I'll try. Okay. So, is it a uh, speed round? Or yeah, it's kind of a speed round. Okay. Kind of. All right. Okay. Uh, pancakes or waffles? Pancakes. What is your spirit animal? My spirit animal is a chicken. A chicken. Nice. Yeah. I actually did this like with family. We all have oh, a yeah? animal now. Yeah. Chicken. Hip hop or rock? Hip hop. Give me your best Australian accent. You're right, mate. I was down surfing in Malulaba. Uh, there had some uh, vegan shrimp on the barbie. And I was hanging out with my mate, James Aspie. And uh, yeah, I've been to Melbourne a couple times, been to Sydney, and I snorkeled the Great Barrier Reef. It was, <laughs> no, it was epic, mate. It was epic. Hope that sounded all right. That was know. pretty good. I thought that was pretty good. good. The Australians are probably going to rip you apart, but. Yeah, I did a good James Aspie when he broke his silence. Uh, it was, what did he say? He goes, wow. <laughs> Thank you for asking. That's good, right? Man. Yeah. Wow. I know it was a good one. Wow, James yeah. asked me where you at, man. That was. I know. You might have to do some uh, <laughs> yeah. some stunt doubling here, just like tag team on I the queue. I do that like, all the time. All the time. That's awesome. I'm trying to think. What other what other questions was I asking on that day? Now, Give me now, your now, best British accent. Ah, uh, all right. So sometimes I try to talk with a British accent like this. Um, I don't think it's too great, but I try my best sometimes and. See now, nice. now I'm here like I'll show you come through like, like it's <laughs> tough, especially on the spot. I can do. Uh, I have a. I do like a, f a funny Irish one sometimes. Like I got an Irish one too. Yeah, go for it. All right. So when I was in Ireland, I we went on like a tour, and this tour guide was taking us to the like these Game of Thrones spots. He was like, he was like, "Have you seen the Game of Thrones? Oh. I'm going to take you to some spots today. We're going to see the Game of Thrones right over here is where they filmed." Yeah, it was a strong Irish accent. Oh yeah, then. very strong. Mine was. Uh, Oh yeah, once I was in Dublin, I was at the Temple Bar. Uh, I took a bus down to Killarney and I kissed the Blarney Stone. No, the Blarney Stone. I think it was the Blarney Stone. I don't know, I just hung out with my mates. We went and we did some activism and we saw some Lord of the Rings sites. It was very nice, me and my friends. Well done, man, right. well done. That was a good well one for you too. Yeah. Maybe we're just Irish by I don't know, maybe. Know, nature. Maybe. It's cool. Oh man. Oh, yeah, thanks for watching our Irish, just our accents. I'm sorry, like, I don't mean this to disrespect any cultures. I'm sorry if <laughs> yeah, I made, seriously. like, seriously. <laughs> it's because we love these cultures. Yes. I was gonna, so, oh, one of my other questions was best dance move, but that's gonna be hard here because we got it's easy. all the equipment, but. The twerk. The twerk? Yeah. Like, like, legs up on a wall twerk or just, like, regular twerk? Depends on the song. But yeah. I, I do have a video of me twerking with my legs up on the wall. Nice. Yep. Is that, like, some, can people access this somewhere or? On my phone. <laughs> Legitimately, it's on my phone. 
<laughs> You're gonna have to post on IG now. People are gonna be like, "Do you want me to show you?" Let's see. Oh, no, it's, I'm Let's going see. live. Yeah, I'm going oh, yeah, live. Oh, right oh, now. yeah, we are going live. It's, because... uh, it's on that phone, but maybe one day. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Maybe one day. All right, one day. For now, you guys are gonna have to wait. But... Yeah. All right. Um, let's um, let's do one more kind of big question here. All right. Going back to being serious. No, Somewhat I, serious. no Irish accent and twerking. I mean, like, if you want to twerk okay. and say this answer in an Irish accent, you can. Okay. We can do that, but no. <laughs> All right. Hypothetically speaking, the next words you say are heard by every single person in the world. I guess this kind of ties into the movie movie plot, but let's just say these are your words now. Um, what are you going to say? Wait. Okay. I mean... I'm saying something. You're saying something. Let's let's say the movie ends, and I get to like my face comes on screen. Uh, yeah. Okay. Let's do that. Let's 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 okay. assume that the movie you've done your movie, it ends credits, and then your face comes on the screen. <sighs> my face. And right there. Right there, and it's just like, all right, you got 30 seconds to just. This is it. You get to speak to the whole world for 30 seconds. Oh, 30. Okay. Wow. I was, I was trying to figure out my just one liner. That would be so much easier. My 30 seconds. Oh, sure. You can do a one liner too, but let's just say the time limit is 30 seconds. Okay. So if you have a one liner, do it. So are you going to do something? I feel like after my movie with Bradley Cooper, <laughs> the movie's going to pretty much like I'd want it to cover all bases to where I w really wouldn't need to say something. It's just and I'm a big fan of questions, and it's so are you going to do something or what are you going to do about it? Mm. You know, what are you going to do about this? And but if I had 30 seconds, I would say like I appreciate everyone watching and taking the time to see this. I know it's difficult to see, but this is the truth. This is the reality. This is what happens every second of every day. And I want every one of you watching this. Well, I want the entire world to know that we have a powerful choice to make. Um, and that choice is either going to take away the choice of another being to, um, in the, to live or it's going to take that choice to allow them to be here and to live with happiness, freedom and justice and equality. And so it's up to us. So what are you going to do about it? I like that, man. Yeah. Ask the question. Yeah. Leave it. Open-ended. Leave it. Oh, yeah. ask the open-ended question. Leave it in their hands. Yeah. Super powerful. Yeah. I mean, where can people reach you at on socials? Social media. I do most everything on Instagram. So you can just find me. I was about to spell it with my, with my <laughs> finger. Can we get a sparkler uh, in here? <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, joshua.entis, E-N-T-I-S, on uh, Instagram, YouTube. I'm going to be doing a lot more work on YouTube, creating some simple educational resources for activists regarding uh, just activism, but primarily self-care for activists. And that's just Joshua Entis. And then my website, joshuaentis.com. I have uh, something that I love on there is recently I put up a photos archive of some of the photos I've taken from around the world, some professional photos of vigils, slaughterhouses, factory farms, sanctuaries, and some other things so that you, so people, can take these photos and use them however they want for themselves. Write posts on social media, turn them into, people are turning them into uh, like, signs and banners for marches uh, or for presentations. I just want people to have access to some of these photos. Not everyone gets to travel the world and see this stuff. And right. so I think that's just a contribution that I want to be able to give is having a photos archive up there. You can also book workshops. I give a workshop on effective outreach and sustainable activism. So if you want me to come to your city, just let me know. There's a spot on my website. Uh, yeah, I give all my workshops for free. And that's where you can find me or in person. Somewhere in the world. Somewhere. Yeah.
Turn on your Find My Friends app. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be creepy one day. <laughs> but yeah, I'm just all over. Joshua Antis, that's me. Hey, brother, thank you so much yeah. for being on the show, man. It's Appreciate been a real it. pleasure. It's been awesome. We got bringing it in Dude, for a hug. No, I'm a hugger. Yeah. Thanks again for everything, man. Absolutely. Thanks for being here, guys. And uh, we will see you on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening. Peace. Guys, you did it. Welcome to the other side. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for still being here. If you enjoyed the content of this show, don't forget to please leave me a rating and review on iTunes and share this show with a family member or a friend. Somebody you think would also find value in this content. If you guys want to stay up to date with me and what I'm doing, head to my website, www.theveganmanlyman.com and sign up for my newsletter for a chance to win some awesome prizes, giveaways, and just stay in the know. My name is Jake Singer, and this is the Vegan Manly Man Podcast.